0: Welcome to Breaking Badness Voices from Infosec Style. This week, our guest is a researcher known on Infosec Twitter as Null Cookies. We're going to hear from him about his view of the world Infosec wise. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness. Uh, this is Tim Helming with me, our Chad Anderson. And uh, this time around, for Voices from InfoSec, Null Cookies is a known master of OPSEC and, uh, most importantly, breaking others' OPSEC. He's going to speak to us today about a wide range of operational security tips when working on the internet and failures he's seen. He's also contributed our music for this week as he's a self proclaimed Uh, to his own far too many pedals and synthesizers, if such a thing is even possible. So welcome. And for the sake of OPSEC, we're going to call you Bob today. So welcome, Bob. Hey, you can also call me Robert.
1: So first, Tim, thank you so much for having me as a guest. Um, It's been great getting to know you all and the cool stuff you've been building together at Domain Tools. I'm a big
0: fan. Well, we are super glad to have you here, Chad. What's the haps?
2: Oh, nothing. Happy to be here with Bob.
0: All right. Or well, Robert, uh, <laughs> or Robert? Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll probably alternate a little bit. Uh, Bob, Robert. I don't know. Should third. we should we say Robert if you're in trouble? <laughs> Rob, Bob, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you again so much uh, for being on with us. There's lots of lots of fun stuff to talk about today. So. Let's dive into some some things about OPSEC tips. And our audience on this show is pretty broad. So uh, just let's start off with explaining what OPSEC or operational security means and like, you know, maybe some examples of that.
1: So I'm going to answer this in my own imperfect way. Um, at its core, operational security is denying information, uh, which could imperil a mission objective of some kind. Uh, This often involves kind of a a careful analysis. Um, First, it considers what can be observed, and secondly, it considers what the result of such observation could be. So based on that analysis, you determine what information to deny and plan for contingencies, uh, if information that should be denied isn't somehow. So I talk about denying information. Um, This can be concealment. It can be misdirection and it can be outright deception. Um, each has their place in cyber threat intelligence work and, uh, other lines of business as well. And this calculus, this detecting, um, you know, what information is potentially could potentially cause, um, your objective, objective to fail or your objective to become more difficult is often kind of an intuitive process. Um, but with any type of risk, uh, you should analyze it and be as methodical and rigorous as possible, um, aim to use a similar, greater level of creativity than, uh, an adversary would use against you. And when you think about, uh, when you finally think you've reached that point, um, full stop and rethink it again. Um, because after all, I'd say the essence of fraud and, and cybercrime is dis- deception and by extension, an expression of creativity. And so a wrong-minded and often very harmful kind of creativity, but it is still an expression of creativity nonetheless. So in a really roundabout way, I'm urging you to think carefully about risk and understanding how um, revealing information
0: at one point uh, can potentially bite you uh, well down the line. You know, when I think about, uh, when you think about security, you know, one of the concepts that we talk about a lot is threat modeling and it sounds like you know in a way it's it's similar you sort of have to do a threat model of what you're doing operationally and what the risks to that security might be based on what kind of information you know you're in possession of and that you could inadvertently leak or how and or how an adversary might you know get their hands on that information
1: I think you're exactly right. Um, Start with denying information and information that you otherwise can't deny. Um, Understand its impact on your operations as a whole.
0: Well, and what we're talking about here does not just apply to security folks and uh, also criminals, but uh, we can think of journalists and probably lots of other folks as well. So what are Like the top things you would say are uh, journalists and researchers and such are doing wrong in their investigations right now that kind of tips their hand or or reveals more than they want to.
1: So I would say it boils down to language Um, for researchers uh, when attempting any sort of infiltration or probing of a group or an actor. If you don't appreciate the importance of language and have the patience when it comes to learning about a group's operation or structure, um, you can fail um, quite quickly. A lot of groups actually use language as an early filter or vetting mechanism when it comes to adding somebody into a circle of trust. Um, You've got Google Translate, and that's not gonna cut it for many groups, especially if you're dealing with Russian language. Um, even fluency, like the kind of fluency you would get as a college major in whatever language um, whatever language the group that you're attempting to study uses isn't necessarily going to cut it either. Um, you need to understand idiomatic language, you need to understand and be able to express irony in that language to be convincing. Uh, another really important thing to do is um, understand cultural references that have a specific meaning and a specific time and place. Um, If you lived in a city, talk about the stores you visited. Um, Talk about cultural references that would be pertinent to that period of time. Um, Use cultural references in idiomatic ways that appeal to its usage right now, even if it's referring to something in the past. Um, I would would also. Caution for journalists in particular, apart from being targeted um, by bad actors um, using traditional means, is it's very easy for a journalist to fall for misdirection or trusting what I call in scare quotes very helpful people. Um, you need to kind of think about it this way some of the most clever cybercrime groups I've studied um, have kind of a canary in the coal mine approach and at the drop of a hat they will burn everything they're low ego um, low exposure and very high paranoia Um, journalists have to find a balance between being kind of an intrepid go-getter of of facts and information and slowly building this type of trust Um, at any point when you're building that kind of relationship um, they detect that something is inauthentic and you can't um use that inauthenticity inauth- as as, as um, a way of kind of explaining that you're legit and perhaps you're just trying to be vague, um, that can destroy an entire operation. Um, but again, granted, I'm mostly focused on the phishing scene and financially motivated cybercrime. Uh, so it's an easier lift for a group to be paranoid and burn everything at the drop of a hat if they're not dealing with very significant infrastructure. Um, same goes for crime as a service op- offerings, ransomware gangs. They have um, a much more valuable set of infrastructure. So what they would consider burning is going to be different than what perhaps just a phishing actor would consider burning.
2: Yeah, and then you have those uh, some of the APT groups that just straight up don't care and run their infrastructure forever. <laughs> no, and, and, and look, there's a, there's a type of freedom in that. And um,
1: from a research perspective, that's a really good opportunity too. If you consider it through the lens of perhaps them not caring is actually a reflection of them caring and it's part of a deeper game. Um, Probably not the case when it comes to a lot of these APTs, but you have to consider that as well.
2: Yeah, that whole misdirection portion, like you speak about, um, that's, yeah, it's a part of the game. Uh, Certainly. uh if you look into, you know, we mentioned Russia earlier, um, looking into the GRU and those, um, classic groups running, um, active measures. That's a, that's a talent that they, um, have curated over the years. So just as possible, all that, all those name surfers are misdirection anyways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, totally.
1: It's, it's something you have to consider. Um, but you know, that consideration has to occur, you know, in the context of everything that you know about this group that your trust circles know about this group and you have to weigh that, right? Um, everything can be like a, a deeper rabbit hole into the matrix. If you look at it that way, but in reality, it could be an error on their part. It could be coincidence, um, or it could be misdirection. You just really have to investigate and be skeptical.
0: The things you were saying about, uh, you know, how to have the right kind of language facility and cultural references and all that. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, the training that people in the Intel community, like the government Intel community get. And that training is not trivial. You know, that's, that's really extensive, really intense. And um, when you think about it, it's actually quite impressive how well a lot of some of the top flight researchers in InfoSec, like yourself, who maybe some do and some don't actually formally have that background, but for folks that that did not have that background, and I've known several, um, you know, if you're a smart person and you're really diligent about this and you apply yourself, you can, um, it's it's pretty amazing how far some folks are able to come along even when they don't have that formal level of training. Well, look, the cool stuff that I've, that I've done, um, in my career
1: is, is because much smarter and much cooler people before me have, have blazed that trail. And so that's, I appreciate that compliment, but, um, like anything, um, we're just building on top of what really, really talented people have done before us, uh, when it comes to, um, learning those skills. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, It scratches the same itch that I think a lot of people who are, are interested in this field of study in this industry, um, have, and and that's just an intense curiosity, um, and I think some of the best professional advice I can give anyone is, um, never lose that sense of curiosity and wonder. Um, and if you want to learn something like a new language or, or techniques, um, um, just be willing to seek out the parts of that skill set that make you the most uncomfortable and dive into them. Um, be comfortable with not knowing something, be comfortable with feeling like an idiot at times. And you can do a lot of cool stuff.
0: I think that's really true. I think if, if you don't feel really dumb, sometimes you're not doing it right. Like you're just not pushing yourself enough. I couldn't,
2: I couldn't agree more. I must be doing it right all the time then. Yeah. Same. <laughs> we know We know you guys are good.
0: <laughs> so you've mentioned breach records in some of our previous conversations as a big source of OPSEC failures. And, and if our listeners are using a password manager and like a different password for each site, why is a breach record still a problem that they should kind of be thinking about?
1: yeah so first and foremost use a password manager uh, use high complexity passwords Um, that's incredibly helpful and when it comes to just ordinary people on the internet that can oftentimes be the um what keeps somebody's account from being hijacked or accessed illegally and not being hijacked or accessed illegally so that's hugely valuable as a tool Um, but the reason a password manager in and of itself is not necessarily, um, doesn't necessarily protect you entirely is one, um, some people will just merely alter a password, um, like append a digit or a character. Uh, that's a very common practice and that is quite easy to associate accounts with. And another thing is people are not thinking about the entire off pair. Um, you have a username that goes with that password. Breach records, apart from additional fields, um, the essence of them is the username and password. Username reuse um, is, in a lot of ways, is easy to pivot off of. Um, just for your analysis, you have to understand that um, there can be name collisions. Um, somebody can register an account if the site doesn't validate, um, say, the email address used to use for the account. It can. You can just use someone else's account. I've seen that happen. Um, but username is a very effective pivot. And the truth is, um, you know, most everyone has some degree of exposure and breach records. Um, and that goes for people who are um, not in the cybercrime world and people who are. And um, financially motivated cybercriminals are, are, are human beings. Uh, just like researchers and the tendency of human beings is it kind of steers toward laziness at some point um so that's why a password manager is especially helpful um because it kind of recognizes that human beings will make mistakes human beings fall into a certain set of patterns of their behavior and those patterns are very difficult to break just remember the entire off pair
2: so the uh i'm guarantee you a lot of people in the security community watch twitch speaking of today's news (laughs) (laughs) and have an account there um so that's like already the uh yeah the pivot points from usernames there to uh any of the other uh 10 breaches we've already seen this month that have been released uh as leaks uh yeah a lot going on you know a, a tip that
0: i think a lot of people don't realize, but it's a really good one um, concerning usernames is when you're, uh, whenever you're on a site that uses your email as your username, uh, most of them, or at least most of the ones that I've used this on, which is many, um, will allow you to do a plus and then something else after the username part of your email address. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can uniqueify them that way. And uh, that's a, that's a tip that I've always thought was
2: a good one. That's also a great litmus test for the quality of coding behind the site. Because if they didn't implement um, the email spec properly to allow for that in their usernames, um, that's a good sign that they uh, may be a little loose and fast with their coding practices.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so that, that approach can help. Um, but it, it doesn't um, completely dodge the risk of, of just basically a fuzzy search um, of a username. And also the assumption that people will try to use that technique. When you talk about uh, like who is registrations, which you guys um, specialize in, um, people will try to use a Gmail account um, for their who is data. And Gmail is going to disregard those those periods that you put in your username. Uh, You'll still get the mail, but they think that's some way of of muddying the water. People have figured that out, and that tactic is not necessarily good if you need to hold up to any sort of scrutiny.
0: All right, well, cool. Let's pivot a little bit. We're big fans of pivoting here to some opsec mishaps. I've
2: got some questions on that. Yeah, I let's, thought you might. Let's uh, let's transition into failures, right? Um, so I, I'm curious. You know, we spoke um, before, Bob, about uh, you know, kind of. Having the skill set to both maintain OPSEC and also to try and uh, discover ways to break others. What's your favorite actor misstep um, that led to them oh being caught? <laughs> um, so I've got several of those examples. Um, I can't
1: necessarily speak to anyone being caught because that really depends on what the definition of caught is. But I'm always looking for examples like... Uh, like those cases where a bank robber leaves their wallet on the bank teller's counter after robbing the place and running away with all the money. Um, Those cases really do happen and more frequently than you'd expect. Um, I suspect part of it is just the adrenaline dump you would get robbing a bank, which makes you um, more likely to leave your wallet on the counter because you're focused on other things. But bank robbers have been um, identified, captured, and prosecuted successfully um, for those types of mistakes. And similar epic failures do occur in the cybercrime world. Um, Just off the top of my head, I I think the best, most recent example is um, if if you saw Brian Krebs reporting um, where he talked about FUD tools, um, which we now know refer to themselves internally as FUD Co., And the reason we know that is, um, they put their cybercrime organization's name in frosting on a cake and publish that on social media, uh, publish that on a social media account that is the personal one of what appears to be one of the group's alleged members. So let me be clear, they put their super secret criminal organization that they've at least (laughs) attempted, uh, to conceal, um, on their Instagram and Facebook profiles on a cake, celebrating, I think I'm guessing it's an anniversary or birthday, um, with the criminal organization's name on the cake on social media and with white frosting.
0: Yeah. That one takes the cake.
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, like that's kind of a, a first in my career, I'd say. But again, people kind of veer toward laziness. And does it mean that person was stupid for doing that? No, the person, based on what I've reviewed, is perfectly intelligent. It's just the human tendency will skew toward laziness and those type of mistakes will compound. Um even if even if the people who would normally be um, the consumers of, of that social media feed um, knew knew what FUDCO was and had no problem with it, it's still a level of exposure. And again, that goes into operational security. It was an OPSEC failure that cascaded um, throughout their entire organization. And some people do it because they just They don't understand how pervasive social media is. Some people do it because they don't care. Um, I don't know what the motivation was there, but I would suspect that this person would have regretted doing it. Um, And then there's, again, you know, I like to poke fun at um, especially clumsy phishing campaigns, like finding a banking fish that had the directory scam underscore website or whatever in its directory path. (laughs) Um, those are really fun, but there's something really important here too, kind of as a lesson, it's something essential and and it's something I, um, remind myself constantly of adversaries aren't fools. Um, and I think as researchers, we would underestimate them at our our own peril. Um, again, OPSEC failures happen. Um, they're pretty amusing, but that shouldn't reflect on a belief that, um, you know, bad actors are are foolish. Um, they're winning the war of creativity right now. And so we,
0: we shouldn't underestimate them.
2: Yeah. And I bet that cake was delicious as well. So it might've been worth it all along. I
0: was gonna say baked I'm... goods weren't part of their threat model. Yeah, yeah well, I,
2: I, I hope it was, <laughs> I hope it was a really good cake. <laughs> so I mean on that um bit of uh of clumsiness I know I've certainly um accidentally done active probing when I should not have due to some automated tooling and and revealed my hand um have you ever had any failures of your own that led to some hard lessons learned I mean it's an iterative process for sure
1: um I think the I think everyone at some point will make a similar mistake to that. Um, I would say that some of the best advice I have on that front is work with humility, um, know that you are incredibly fallible as a person that your own behaviors will skew toward laziness, um, that there's always someone who knows more than you and, um, you know, take take opportunities to, to learn from those you would consider adversaries, learn from their mistakes. Um, I know they learn from ours. Uh,
0: nothing good comes from hubris, and you have to be vigilant. One of the things that I, I think is a factor here, and it's one of the reasons that I think um, people shouldn't be too hard on themselves if they slip up and, you know, everybody's going to, for, for some value of everybody that I think is a pretty large value, um, is going to fall for a, a fish at some point or another. And it's not because we're stupid generally. And I think, I think there's a tendency toward laziness as you say, but I almost think it, it's also a factor of the world we're living in. That is, we're moving really fast And pretty often we're multitasking and uh, the the neuroscience is super clear on what the consequences of those things are, but that's kind of the world we're living in. And so it's another layer on top of, of everything else, right? You can model out and and game out what is the right thing to do. And you can have best practices and you can be good at them, but you're going to have a time when, you know, 600 things are happening at the same time and you're going really fast and that's when it's going to happen. And it's, it's hard to not get caught in that trap of 600 things happening uh, now and then. Yeah, I, I, Tim, I completely agree. Um,
1: think of it, think of it as a circuit, right? Um, you can bypass and what an effective social engineering campaign or I don't know, fish or any sort of deceptive act does is it's tagging, um, It's tagging some bases before it goes for, uh, before it tries to get the point on the board, right? You've got a scheme, a ruse, the bait, the lure, or whatever, and you've got a set of conditions that a target will respond to. And if you're able to tickle the part of their brain uh, that will elicit fear, greed, or anger, you're a lot more likely to bypass their ability to reason. Clearly when you bypass the ability, someone, someone's ability to reason clearly, um, they'll fall for a fish. I could fall for a fish for sure. Um, we all could. And what we need to do is we need to one better understand the neuroscience and psychology behind that type of deception, because, you know, in the great like chain of being of security research, phishing isn't as sexy as, as bespoke malware, because it's not as technically difficult, right? But the problem is, and phishing and, um, business email compromises another field, it creates massive damages. And even though technically it's at a much lower level, um, there is simplicity there. And it works and you do enough volume of luring, or if you're really good at understanding who your target is and you do something that's specifically to them, there's a good chance eventually the stars are going to kind of align and that person is going to be successfully manipulated. Um, and that's human nature. And we have to understand that we're human beings, bad guys are human beings. And everyone else in between, um, is also a human being. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of spoke in a paragraph there, but yeah, absolutely. Um, people are vulnerable to these type of attacks. Um, and the reason they're vulnerable to it is not their intelligence. You should never bl- blame victims for falling for this type of fraud. It's the, it's, it's the structure of the brain and it's psychology. And these people have figured out through a deceptively simple medium ways to bypass somebody's critical thinking and skepticism.
2: Yeah, my, uh, my own sister got me with a very well-crafted fish a um, couple of years back. And actually, it, now that I think about it, it wasn't even very well-crafted. Um, it probably is all things you could find out from public records. Uh, but it was just enough that I absolutely stumbled into it. Um, it was it's hilarious. What was the lyric? Um, really. um it ended up being security related to work, um, and it had come from uh HR. So, um, and it was uh, you know, yeah, it was just it That's was good. functional. It was knowing enough about my work and what it looks like to uh To be able to uh, lure me like that. And, I mean, she also did have the knowledge that something was going to be coming from HR uh, related. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like someone could get that as well, Um, you know, probably from uh, seeing that it was time to renew, um, you know, benefits or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. enrollment coming up or whatever. mm -hmm. What a great story that is, by the way. I know she's not even in security and she just, uh, uh, that's, that just shows, uh, how mischievous, uh, she is. Um,
1: <laughs> so she used familiarity yep. um, as a means of exploiting your skepticism, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you want to get a, you know, a fraudster to click on the link, you appeal to fear or greed. Um, yep. if you want to get a family member, apparently to, Click on a phishing link as an experiment, um, do familiarity, understand somebody's schedule, and send a lure that makes sense in the context. And that's devilishly effective.
2: Yeah, certainly.
0: Well, I, uh, Chad, I just yeah. th- thank you for this insight into your particular sibling rivalry. And uh, I got to wonder what you've got in store
2: back for her. Yeah, well, you know, I keep a rat running on all my um, family machines, uh, mostly for tech support, um, and also, you <laughs> know, uh, <laughs> anything else. Uh, and and do they know that? No, uh, certainly not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The credential stealers—that's uh, just a side effect of the, the, you know, what I'm using. Yeah, you're uh, just looking out <laughs> for people. Yeah, sure I'm they making don't sure register any bad accounts. Well, and that way I can tell them when they're using unsafe passwords, you know? I, I can uh, feel like that it wasn't... Com- Your banking password isn't complex enough and I can see you don't have 2FA turned on.
1: Well, <laughs> real story, I, I do um, query my parents' breach records um, monthly. Um, thanks to some some access to these records, um, I, I, I keep an eye on my parents, sure, to make sure they're not included in breaches.
2: Yeah, I forced uh, everyone in the family to sign up for Have I Been Pwned. Um, if you have not yet, you should certainly do that for yourself and your business. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, totally second that. I I've
0: done that too, and I uh, I've done some outreach to friends and family when I've noticed. Well, I guess probably only family, but when I've noticed that they they showed up on there. Yeah, it's good practice.
2: So I, I've got another set of questions for you. You know, we'll we'll skip the OPSEC. Uh, we know that you make a lot of music uh, under the name Bad Domain, um, which is great, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So- bad uh, you... to Domain Tools. <laughs> yeah, Bad Domain Tools. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you made the music for this episode. Do you want to talk about it a little bit and uh, kind of um, what kind of music you're making?
1: So, there's this weird intersection of my life that is um, computers and music and climbing. Um, and hear me out, they have a lot in common um, and they really complement each other. Uh, so, it boils down to tinkering. Um, that's a common theme throughout my life, I'd say music, technology, climbing, tinkering. Um, they're technical disciplines where Someone can be creative and try to push boundaries, but balance those boundaries, believe it or not, um, through the lens of risk. So I love the technical aspects of ice climbing. I like to understand how shock loads work and ice screw failure and all of that, and the tools that make that possible. Um, At the same time, I love music um, because it's the convergence of uh, complex technical systems and methods and cultures into something that can move beyond systems and methods and cultures. Um, I like the asymmetry of, of being, um, at least partially classically trained, um, doing noise music, um, full out of a room that's literally full of weird sounding guitar pedals and synthesizers and computers are just the same, right? like how can we bend the rules on what seems to be possible how dissonant can i make a song and still have it be listenable um i like combining weird kind of esoteric forms of music um with synthesizers that almost sound like pop um some of the music i do is based off of medieval motets and um kind of using just arhythmic, sometimes um atonal um, riffs and repeating that and doing variations and kind of creating this antiphony, um, between two different voices. Uh, so yeah, long story short, I love making music. And the reason I like making music is the same reason I love security. the same reason I love, I love climbing. It's balancing risk, understanding techniques
2: and creating. It's funny. I feel that uh, my own technical intersection and my photographic work is the same way, but it's for a different reason. Uh, And then maybe this shows the way that I work on hacking is I'm much more of a brute forcer who just bashes my head against something, puts uh, print statements in there and tries and figures out why it doesn't work. And in photography, that very much fits in that, you know, you press the button uh, 30,000 times in a year, um, but I only ever keep two to five photographs from the year. Um, and that that sort of brute force of repeated failures. it's like sisyphian, uh, and I, I love that about it. <laughs> that or is, that I, is I, quite can, a ratio <laughs> I, yep, i can I can totally relate to the Sisyphean, um
1: nature of of creating stuff. Um, you talk about brute forcing photography, yeah, I, I brute force chord progressions. <laughs> and a lot of them are 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 truly horrid. Um, but sometimes you get one that works, and that's good. Um, thankfully, the brute force approach for climbing a little different. Um, I don't want to try to brute force that very much.
0: But apart <laughs> from that, a um,
1: yeah, I like the <laughs> I like the brute approach. Yeah. Not not with ice climbing, no.
2: Yeah, repeated failures on a glacier never a good thing.
0: <laughs> no. I uh, my one of my creative outlets uh, also uh, have classical music background. Uh, kind of fun to have that in in common. And I um I build. Uh, I've built a lot of my own equipment. I'm a percussion uh, player. And uh, for me, part of it is the engineering challenge of operating within constraints. So Mm -hmm. uh, most of the drums that I've made are metal and they have metal pieces of them, but I do not have welding skills and equipment nor machining skills and equipment. So I put these constraints on that say, what can I do when my tools are a drill press uh, and uh, like a chop saw Uh And uh, other kinds of simple tools like that. And can I come up with um, designs that will do what they need to do uh, within those constraints? And um, it's also, I've sort of brute forced it. Like if I look at the progression of stuff that I built, it was very crude at first. And then it got to be relatively refined, but still working inside those same constraints.
1: I love it. And to... Kind of circle back to the security world, um, you see a progression like that um, with threat actors. Um, there's a certain trajectory that many of them tend to take, and and you can actually see their skill set evolve, um, just as an artisan uh, would evolve and grow and um, become more skilled at their craft, right? Um, but Tim, I I love the I, lo- I love the custom percussion stuff. Uh, if you ever want to put acoustic transducers on any of that, um, I've got some, I've got some effects that might sound pretty cool.
0: Oh, that would be cool. Uh, yeah. Check it out. Kettledrums.com. If you're, if you're curious. Uh, do you sell? Cause I might buy your inventory. Uh, potentially. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Talk, for all you Breaking Badness listeners too, who are in the percussion market, you know, uh, hit me up. Yeah, and I want my neighbor to love me even more. By the way, for, forgive the absolute, utter, unforgivable crudeness of the website because I wrote it in raw HTML about 20 years ago when I didn't know diddly-squat about that, and it's horrible. But, you know, you can still find the pictures and Close articles. Closer this
1: to a text file, the happier I am.
2: This is this has turned out to be the end of this episode is uh, basically a shill for all of our um, side projects. So we'll have <laughs> all of those in uh, the co- show comments with links... Um, please buy and subscribe. Uh, (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on and joining us and bringing all the OPSEC information for our listeners. Um, Hopefully that's useful to them. And we'll also link in the show notes um, to KettleDrums.com, at least, as well as to Bad Domain on SoundCloud so you all can listen to more of Bob's music. Um, Yeah, thanks for having us on, or thanks for being on the show. (laughs) Thanks, guys.
1: That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at domaintools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and cook.